You know, when I was your age, go ask your mother. I know you don't like it. It builds character. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm not just talking to hear my own voice. Hello, listener, and welcome to Datages. I'm your host, Chad Hagel. And if you are looking for some fatherly wisdom for your career, your family, or any other aspect of your life, then you've come to the right place. If you want to learn more about Datages, find additional content, submit questions or feedback to me, or if you want to know if that mental picture you have of me after hearing my voice matches my real face, visit datages.com. Thanks for being here. And before you listen to our podcast, please listen to your father. This is the first episode of the Datages podcast. I'm your host, Chad Hagel. So where do we start? Listener, let's together ask and answer two important questions. One, what are datages? And two, what the heck are we all doing here? That's as good a place as any to begin our time together. So what are datages? Thank you for asking. Let me start by sharing a couple of things about myself. I love to play with words. Perhaps it comes from growing up with four English teachers in my family. My mom, her sisters, and her mother, they were all highly educated and linguistically inclined. I grew up with words, and when you got my mom and her sisters together in a room, let me tell you, it was like a verbal tornado wrapped inside of a hurricane. So in my OCD mind, I'm constantly playing a torrential downpour of words, associating words with one another, stringing them together in meaningful or sometimes completely meaningless wordplay. And I like to make up words. I take two things that don't necessarily go together and and try to combine them into new made-up words. Usually, it it is in an effort to to make some sort of pun. And the majority of the time, that, that effort falls flat on its face. Here are some examples. First, here's one I can't take credit for. Rather, it comes from that most respected literary reference, the Urban Dictionary. You've probably heard this term before. Have you ever heard of someone being called fugly? Fugly. It's the brilliant and pithy synthesis of friggin' and ugly. What a truly great contraction, right? Equally self-explanatory and useful, it's one of those amazing fabricated words that paints a mental picture of its own meaning without even having to be explained. When you hear fugly, you know fugly. Here's an example that's much closer to my heart. My, my wife is half Filipino and half Lebanese, so we often refer to her as Philanese, or sometimes we say she is half Arab and half Filipino, and we'll say she's Arapino. However you slice it, I can assure you that my wife is 200% of whatever she is, and we all love her for it. Full disclosure moment here, as a multicultural household with an even more diverse circle of friends and loved ones, the topics of race, cultural differences, stereotypes, and, and the like are far from off limits in our home. We lack the virtue of political correctness. Somewhere along this journey with you, listener, I'm going to offend some of you. I'm confident of that, and I'd like to get the apologies out of the way right here up front in episode one. So, I'm sorry. 
Setting aside value judgments, you might call these little examples of literary mental gymnastics linguosynthesis. And I think I might have just done it again right there. One of the things I've always found most fascinating about William Shakespeare is the sheer quantity of words he totally invented in his writing. Words we use every day that seem so plainly obvious or totally ubiquitous today that we would all assume they've been part of the English language for all time. Words like bandit, critic, elbow, not the actual body part, but its use as a verb to to elbow someone. The list goes on and on. There are far better podcasts from far more erudite linguists than I. If you want a more productive use of your time, please go check those out instead of listening to me and maybe you'll actually learn something. If you're still here, thank you. Don't misunderstand me. I'm certainly not likening myself to Shakespeare. I simply justify my own fun with words by saying, if Shakespeare can make up words for fun, why can't you and I do the same? In the same way I play around with making up words, I also like to play with combinations of words to come up with pithy sayings. I've actually started a list I carry around in my pocket on my phone. Every time one of these trivial turns of the tongue or brief bits of word wisdom comes to me, or if I just find myself saying something over and over to others, I decide to capture it so I don't lose it. I, being the Chad, have always called these sayings chattages when I share them with my close friends, professional colleagues, or family in person, but at some point along the way, I started to entertain the notion that I could, that that I should share these bits of wisdom with others. The idea of talking to a broader audience and referring to these sayings as chattages just seemed a bit presumptuous or vain. The notion of incorporating my own name into a new word to describe bits of knowledge and wisdom that can be shared with others didn't really sit well with me. And uh, perhaps I'm a bit presumptuous and vain in reality, but I prefer you to keep listening to this podcast and discover that for yourself over the days and weeks ahead, rather than me spoiling it right up front with a podcast title that broadcasts vanity prematurely. Enter Datages, the linguosynthetic solution to all of my problems. I, in fact, am a dad. I have been a dad for 18 plus years now, and I have two amazing sons, Brayden, 18, and Camden, 16. Much more about that to come. And who can argue the notion that dad is the supreme all-wise expert on all things in life? Dadages can cover topics ranging from business to family to personal to the great truths of life. With a quick name change, my bits of wisdom are instantly anonymous and universal, insightful and incontrovertible. Datages. Well, maybe not, but at least the term captures my attempts at creativity and terrible humor. Both of these will be hallmarks of this podcast, I can promise you that. Now we all know what a datage is. So on to our second question for this introductory podcast. What the heck are we all doing here? I'm not asking an existential question here. I'm not trying to get to the root of our humanity and our purpose for being. That's a completely different podcast. If you want to delve into any of those vastly more important questions about life, I'd recommend you go check out Philosophize This, hosted by Stephen West. It's 
really a, a great podcast. The question I'm posing for our discussion is, why am I recording a podcast and what can you, as the listener, expect from this podcast? My 18-year-old son, Brayden, is actually the podcast junkie in the family. He's a Joe Rogan enthusiast in particular, but he really inspired me to start checking out podcasts. I can say as a father, and I hope those of you that are parents can say the same thing, I often find inspiration from my children. I think if you aren't being inspired by your children, you simply aren't paying close enough attention. So Braden got me started listening to podcasts, and I've found some in several different genres that I enjoy. I talked about Stephen West and philosophized this a moment ago. For sheer entertainment value, I often tune into Smartless with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett. Those guys are iconically hilarious and put some fascinating and funny guests together. I also hear a lot of Joe Rogan, but that is mostly by proxy with my son Braden serving as the Joe Rogan correspondent for the Hegel family. The podcast genre is going to present dual challenges for me. First, most of my communications experience in my adult life has come in the form of public speaking engagements. One of the few distinct talents that I possess is for public speaking. It has always come to me very naturally. I find myself at public events more comfortable when I'm behind the podium speaking to an audience than I am at times mingling in the crowd and speaking with people one-on-one. Most people think I'm an extrovert, but I'm really more of a closet introvert. Right now, you're probably saying, aren't all introverts closet introverts by definition? And yes, you got me there, but you know what I mean. Public speaking is not really an extroverted activity per se. While you are surrounded by people when speaking at an event or on stage, it's really just that, a stage. It's a performance. It's not really human-to-human engagement. That lectern is a great defense mechanism, and while I enjoy direct engagement with people, I can find it energy-depleting at times, and sometimes after a social event, I'm exhausted and need to retreat to privacy to to re-energize. Here's how I'll be challenged in producing a podcast, though. For me, standing at the front of a room is actually a very comfortable place. I enjoy reading the body language and the responses of those in the room and responding and adapting accordingly. From from this end of our present engagement, listener, I can't tell when you smile, when you laugh, when you nod your head in agreement with something I'm saying. For that matter, I can't tell when you groan or gasp or get up and walk out of the room because you've abandoned our little discussion altogether. It's so easy for you, the all-powerful listener, to tap that pause button, swiftly eviscerating me with those two deadly vertical cuts, swipe and exit stage left, and never return. To me, that's more unsettling than facing a room full of people. I've always thought my aptitude for public speaking is more of a comparative advantage rather than an absolute advantage. For those of you who may not be familiar with those terms, they come from microeconomics. I studied economics at Stanford. Chad fact, I went to Stanford University. Do you know how you can tell if someone went to Stanford? The answer is you don't have to. They will let you know in the first five minutes after you meet them. But we've been talking for well over five minutes now and it just came up. I guess I'm doing pretty well. But seriously, I do wear my Stanford experience, both my four years as a student and my 20 plus years as an alum, right on my sleeve. 
It's a pretty fundamental part of my life. My Stanford education is the greatest gift that my own father, Mark, gave to me. I've said it to him privately, and I thank him again for that transformative gift now publicly. Thanks, Dad. Back to comparative and absolute advantage. I'm taking some poetic license and distorting the use of those terms from their pure economic definitions just a bit to make a point. Economics is not really about business at the end of the day. It's truly a social science, and it offers a lot of insights into modes of human interaction. In economic terms, absolute advantage refers to one person, group, or organization that is better or more efficient at doing something in another group. Comparative advantage sets aside which resource is purely best, acknowledging that a single resource cannot do everything, everywhere, all at once. Great movie, by the way. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I love Michelle Yeoh. She's a badass. Anyway, comparative advantage considers the opportunity cost recognized when a resource trades off participating in one activity versus another. So how is this discussion of comparative advantage relevant to my public speaking experience? I'm not the best public speaker in the world. I'm certainly no world-class orator. It's simply that my cost, in air quotes, of public speaking is not as high as it is for some others. Some people actually rank the fear of public speaking or glossophobia, look it up, that's a real word, up there with the fear of death. That's pretty heavy stuff. Think about that for a minute. I'm thankful I don't suffer from such a fear, and I suppose that makes me the obvious choice if we are ever faced with a public speaking emergency and somebody has to step up to the mic to save us. Here's another Chad fact. As you may already be able to tell, I'm a wealth of relatively meaningless knowledge. I've picked up little bits of trivia throughout my life and held on to probably the least important of those. I know it's an amazing skill that gets me just about nothing to show for it. But what I do attempt is contextual sharing of knowledge. I've always tried in my life as part of any conversation to add value and meaning through something I can contribute to the flow of a discussion that is relevant. I try to be an engaging conversationalist. This brings me to my second challenge in the podcast realm. This really isn't much of a conversation. You might be yelling at me right now because you feel like I've wasted the past 15 minutes of your time, but I'm sorry, I I can't hear you. (laughs) Now, I'm not telling you that you can't talk back to me. Who am I to deprive you of your half of this discussion? And I really am a very good listener. It really would be easier from where I'm sitting if I could, in fact, hear you, because I'm not typically the one in the room that leads a conversation. I prefer to listen, react, respond, and and add my two cents. That's where I excel. Actually, the skill earned me my one and only A-plus at Stanford and in my very last semester on the farm, and earned me my first job. This is a funny story and one that I'm a bit embarrassed to share publicly, but I think I've exceeded the statute of limitations within which a professor could dock me for what I'm about to share with you. So that final semester at Stanford in 1998, when I was taking a seminar-based economics course, I think I knew deep inside that I had really studied as much as I was ever going to study in four years at Stanford when it came to economics. So I honestly did very close to zero percent, zero percent of the readings that we were assigned in that class. 
I would come to the class ready to listen, though. I would follow the discussion and the salient points raised by my classmates, and I'd borrow bits and pieces from what they had to say and just reformat them into a more concise and direct statement of the facts and opinions that they were already putting out there in the discussion. Everyone seemed to be impressed with what I was able to articulate and add to the discussion, even the professor. Like I said, that got me an A+. There was this one guy, though, who, who sat in the front row of the class every day, and he was always wearing these boots. He was very Euro. I remember the boots, the Euro boots, and I suspected he was gay. One day in the last week of classes, he approached me after class. A bit to my surprise, he was not asking me out. Instead, he said, I'm very impressed with how well you speak and what you contribute to the class, but I've, I have to ask, have you read a single thing for this class? Busted. <laughs> I was honest. No, I, I really haven't. Interesting, he said. I have a company I'm starting, and I'd like to offer you a job. That was 1998 in Silicon Valley. Everyone was starting a company, it seemed. I did join the company, in fact. Our company rode the wave of the first dot-com boom up and back down. That company was GetFit.com. You've never heard of it, I'm sure. You have no reason to have heard of it. I like to say that I got to go to business school and someone else paid for it. And that guy with the boots? That's Oded Peled, who is one of my closest friends on the planet to this day. You all meet him on this podcast at some point. Just stand by for that. So this second challenge is rooted in the fact that I'm abandoning an apparently A-plus level of conversational skill, or complete BS artistry, depending on how you want to look at it, in favor of a discussion where I have to talk first, I have to take the lead, I have to guide the discussion somewhere, but I embrace the challenges I have described as opportunities for personal growth for me, your host. And I'll ask you to, to be patient and considerate as I climb that growth curve. Should this podcast be successful, I hope that over time you might actually see it evolve and improve. And I hope you'll help me along the way. Please do so. Please. I'll share a bit later how you might do that. The past few minutes have been spent explaining why I maybe should not be doing a podcast. So again, we have to ask the question, why are we here? The podcast format does make sense for me for a couple of reasons. One is simply a matter of time. People say time is money. I say time is far more valuable than money. I can always find more money, but I will never find another minute of time in my life. If your dadage alarm is going off, you're exactly right. I just snuck one in on you. But that's not the basis for this introductory episode. Don't worry. We'll come back to that one in the future and do a whole episode on that particular dadage. Anyhow, I make the majority of my business decisions based on my return on time rather than my return on money. That's reason number one for me producing a podcast. I've contemplated sharing my perspectives with a broader audience for some time. I've thought about writing a book, but I struggled to carve out the amount of time that would be required to invest into such an endeavor, especially with no guarantee whatsoever that I could actually pull it off. The amount of time that I would have to invest in authoring a book before I could even recognize if it was succeeding was absolutely daunting to me. The medium of the podcast offers a more episodic approach to communication, and in this way, it's 
more bite-sized for me to produce and, and to weave that work into my life as an entrepreneur operating an enterprise and, of course, my primary job, dad. The very nature of what I have to share also lends itself to loosely assembled, fragmented approach to communication. Frankly, my perspectives might not come together that cohesively into a book, at least not for now. If I have ever developed a volume of content and I decide to write a book one day, though, I don't want you coming back and calling me out on this point, please. So my very first exposure to an absolutely brilliant podcast wasn't really a podcast at all. Mike Rowe, a great communicator with an amazing, silky smooth, but manly voice, who I personally recognize as the host of Dirty Jobs, but know that he has a long and prolific career in front of the camera and behind the mic. Mike wrote a book called The Way I Heard It that was based on his podcast by the same name. And here's a mind bender for you. I listened to Mike's book on Audible as an audiobook. So I listened to Mike reading an audiobook he recorded of the book he wrote about the podcast he recorded. Wow, way to go, Mr. Rowe. You really got mileage out of that one. Brilliant. Now, Chad Hagel is certainly no Mike Rowe, but I'm certainly smart enough to follow his lead. Thanks, Mike. And as my own dad likes to posit, how do you eat an elephant? The only answer is one bite at a time. There you go. Maybe that will make for a good episode down the road, too. Reason number two for the podcast format iteration. This is virgin territory for me. I've never written or recorded any piece of media to be distributed to a large audience, presuming for the moment that this podcast will reach a large audience someday. Taking a more incremental approach to distributing a podcast one episode at a time gives me a chance to stick and move like a boxer, to adapt and change as I go, and hopefully improve the work product I'm offering you as I go. Many great authors have written about the importance of failure and how failing fast can breed success. I can promise you an episode on that topic down the road as well, as long as you'll stick by my failures and by my iterations long enough to get there. And this is where you can help also. I talked earlier about the challenge I face in this conversation with you because I can't hear what you have to say. Well, that's not really true. You can make your voice known if you like, and I ask that you please do so. I've set up a website. I know, that's so 1998. You can visit datages.com, D-A-D-A-G-E-S.com, and share your feedback there on every episode or email me at chad at datages.com. I would love to hear from you. you. You won't find me on the socials, no gram, no Twitter. That's just not me and wouldn't be authentic. I'll stick with my late 90s social media tech. Thank you very much. I think the fatherly nature of my podcast grants me full license to be old school. Reason number three for datages to come to life as a podcast. I've often been told that I have both the voice and the face for radio. I'm pretty sure one of those two observations is a compliment. I think my voice is one of the most positively recognized attributes I possess. I'm no professional vocal artist. You'll have to stick around for episode number two to hear from one of those. I know I have some untrained aspects in my patterns of speech, perhaps a few too many ahs and ums, but I hope most of those get taken care of in post-production. 
And I have this weird way of swallowing my L's that causes some people to misunderstand certain words I say. Now that I've pointed them out, I hope you aren't singularly focused on my little speech nuances and can still enjoy listening to the sounds of my voice in this podcast, but I'll try to channel my inner micro to offer you quality vocal artistry from here on out. Now we've established why I'm here. Why are you here, listener? Did you stumble upon this podcast? Did someone encourage you to check it out? Or maybe you're just one of the dozen friends or family I just guilted into listening. Like I said, visit us online, share your story, let me know what brought you here, and let me know what you think about the podcast. Let's get back to datages now. We've discussed what datages are, but where do datages come from? You should know something else about me. I I give a lot of advice, and I seek a lot of advice. I'm sort of an advice aficionado or an advice connoisseur at this point in my life. I'm one of those peoples that others come to for advice. Some of that comes from being an entrepreneur and being an activist, philanthropic investor. People know I've built my own business, and a lot of people are looking for insights and guidance and doing that for themselves. Others know that I've engaged at a high level with many startup nonprofits and institutions, particularly in the realm of education. I've learned how to navigate organizations, small and large, and how to make a positive impact. As much as I enjoy building things at work and building organizations, I enjoy even more building people. I like to help young people in particular chart a course for themselves and connect the dots to make their objectives realities. I'm also an opinionated person. And I feel that my opinions are earned through hard work, positive contributions, and the experience gained. We'll do a whole episode in the future about opinions as well. I also tend to be a very philosophical person. I'm not saying that I'm a philosopher. The only philosophy class I struggled through at Stanford proved that fact for certain. I simply couldn't think or write the way they wanted me to think or write. So you won't find me on an episode of Philosophize This. When I say I'm a philosophical person, what I mean by that is that I have formed a set of guiding philosophies through the course of my life, and whenever I have a tough choice to make, I tend to evaluate the decision through the lens of one of those philosophies, and to make my decision based upon one or more of them. So I guess the message here is that I'd never try to offer you advice that I'm not willing to take myself. Most datages are little pithy sayings born out of the wrinkled gray matter of my own mind. Others are sayings I borrow from people I respect along the way, and I adopt or adapt them into my own repertoire of go-to advice. Oscar Wilde famously said, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But a lot of times people end the quote there and drop the remainder of the aphorism. It goes something like this. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. Obviously, when repeated in its complete form, this saying takes on more complexity and depth. This one sentence can be used to praise the originators of meaningful thought or action for their greatness, it can also be used to demonstrate how imitation of one's work is synonymous with complementing that work. 
But applied in a more critical sense, it could mean that one who copies another is relegated to mediocrity. Ironically, Oscar Wilde didn't come up with this saying on his own. He adapted it from the work of Charles Caleb Colton, who preceded him. And Triple C, as I affectionately refer to him, adapted it from works dating back to the early 1700s. So I tend to believe that none of these guys were really trying to cast shade on folks for copying or adapting what came before them, unless they were super self-critical. All of that being said, if me borrowing from great individuals who came before me makes me mediocre, so be it. I long ago became comfortable with the notion of mediocrity. Before you start thinking I suffer from low self-esteem or that I'm just sandbagging and setting low expectations for myself, let me explain. When I arrived at Stanford in 1994, I came from a small prep school in Central Florida. I was accustomed to being a big man on campus and never really having to struggle that much, even though I did work hard, because I got by mostly on natural ability. In the Stanford ecosystem, though, I was surrounded by people who were the very best in the world at whatever they did. In my class alone were Tiger Woods, uh, several Olympians, a world-renowned classical concert pianist, and several of the greatest minds in science and engineering that I've ever met. And listener, that leads me finally to the topic for episode number two of Datages, and here comes our very first official Datage. Always surround yourself with people who are better than you are at what they do best, and then let them do it. Continue to episode two and learn more. Oh, and before I depart today, we will close each episode of Datages with the dad joke of the day. This one is in honor of an individual who was admitted to Stanford along with me freshman year, but she hit it big time and never showed up. This joke is actually a conversation between dad and mom. Dad. Honey, I was just listening to the radio on my way into town. Apparently an actress just killed herself. Mom. Oh my, who? Dad. Uh, I can't remember. I think her name was Reese something. Mom. Witherspoon? Dad. No, it was with a knife. Trust me, you have a lot more to look forward to where that came from. Remember, everyone. Dad may not always know best, but he sure can sound like he does. Thank you for listening to Dadages. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to visit dadages.com and subscribe to the Dadages podcast to get notified for future episodes. You can rate or review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Why? Because I'm your father and I said so. Just a little respect is all I ask for. I put a roof over your head and food on the table and what do you do? No, tell me exactly what do you do because I'm doing everything. I'm paying for everything. No, get back here. Get back here right now.